Do you love NFL football fun and booze? Join us at Thurston Gold Podcast every Saturday night for weekly NFL coverage, whiskey, bourbon, scotch, and beer reviews. We mix expert football analysis with signature drinks, original segments, and lots and lots of laughs. Yes, that's right, football fans. Please join us at Thurston Gold Podcast by heading over to thurstongold.buzzsprout.com or search Thurston Gold on the web. If you're tired of boring podcasts, come join our football party. Hey, we're rolling, we're rolling. We got all game all Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5. Scooting in for the score. Touchdown. Yeah. Welcome in, football fans. We're back with you once again, and we are heading out west to what I believe is going to be a really, really exciting division for strong teams to look through. And I'm joined this evening by James, who's going to give us some fantasy tips and advice. James, how are you doing, buddy? I'm all right, sir. You okay? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Looking forward to this one. Like I say, slightly different format, so hopefully it comes across quite well. And without further ado, let's get our guests introduced. We've got fans on from all four of the sides, and I'm welcoming them all into the podcast now. So for the San Francisco 49ers, we have Jacob. How are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure. For the Seahawks, we have Michael. How are you doing, mate? I'm too bad, Sean. Thank you. Good stuff. Uh, for the LA Rams, from the LA Rams UK Twitter handle, we've got Jordan. How are you doing, right. Yeah, not bad. Good man. And from British Bird Gang, of course, representing the Cardinals, we've got Thomas. How are you, mate? I'm not too bad surviving. Top man, top man. That's the main thing The uh, with the way things currently are, mate. So it's never a bad thing to be surviving currently. Um, let's get into it then, boys. Let's talk some football. Like I said, it's potentially going to be one of the most exciting divisions from a neutral perspective, I think, next year. Um, obviously, a number of teams that potentially, you know, have got certainly playoff aspirations. You could make a strong case, I would suggest, for all four of them for different reasons. So, I'd be really interested to hear your views on it, obviously, as the experts of your own franchises. So, Jacob, let's start with yourself, mate. Obviously, so near and yet so far last year, falling at the final hurdle. Um, but obviously, looking for a repeat performance. What sort of off-season activity have we seen so far from San Francisco? I think the the main things was was trying to to keep the pieces in house that that we needed to keep, um, and that was you know the 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 restricted free agents you know the tenders on Emmanuel Mosley on Daniel Brunskill on Kendrick Bourne Matt Breeder etc. Um, you know it gave us the ability to keep as many starters as as we were kind of able to afford on that team. We ended up keeping nineteen of the twenty two starters, um, and I think this off season more than ever. You know, when we might not have OTAs, when we might have a shortened training camp. I think these teams that are able to keep the majority of their starters have the same QB, have the same scheme. I think they're going to benefit compared to maybe some of these teams that have had all this big overhaul and this big change. So um, of the of the people that left, you know, Mike Person, I thought was probably the weak spot of the offensive line. I think it's essentially an upgrade probably to have either Ben Garland or Daniel Brunskill fill in there. Um, DeForest Buckner was obviously the, the big move of, of the offseason, you know, trading him to the Indianapolis Colts for the number 13 pick um, was huge. Uh, but what it able, enabled us to do was re-sign 
Eric Armstead, which, you know, looked like it might not be possible. Um, but the fact that he was a bit cheaper than it was to get um, DeForest Buckner, they were then able to re-sign people like Jimmy Ward, uh, which was huge. You know, when I was looking at kind of the fact he might walk out the door and we looked at the other safeties, it seemed very much like any other good safety was likely going to cost us more. So the ability to keep all of those players, as much as we did lose Buckner, we did lose Emmanuel Sanders, uh, I think we're in a good spot in terms of the team that we have been able to retain. Yeah, I think the the thing for me when you talk about the 49ers, and we talked about this, didn't we, mate, in the run-up to the Super Bowl, you know, the names that you mentioned there, they don't necessarily jump off the page for the casual fan looking in as real big names, but they're obviously all significant contributors, aren't they? It's a team not necessarily made of superstars, but obviously made of a number of key contributors. And as you said, you know, there's been some good wheeling and dealing to sort of stay within the salary cap and, like you say, you know, probably sort of sign some cheaper alternatives in some key areas. Um, in terms of the, the sort of big trade, as you said there, obviously losing um, Buckner is obviously going to be significant. So let's let's just go to one of the other guys from one of the other teams. Let's go to uh, Michael from a Seahawks perspective. Obviously, you were nip and tuck last year um, all the way in terms of the divisional race. You'll obviously be pleased that part of that formidable defensive line has departed. Yeah, absolutely. But just from watching last season, you know that that defensive line was so versatile and so flexible that I still think it's going to be a force to be reckoned with this year and especially from a Seahawks point of view uh, our O-line definitely isn't isn't the greatest so still concerns as to how we would cope with it but from a 49ers standpoint I think they're they're still in a good position to, to make moves this year. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. Wouldn't disagree at all. I think, like you say, it's still a pretty formidable unit. Jordan, just coming to you um, from a Rams perspective, obviously one of the things that um, you know we all associate with the Rams is the high-powered offense, or certainly you know it was high-powered. You know, if not last season, certainly the season before. The the accusation, if you like, with the 49ers is that you know that's not necessarily the case. Um, hasn't been a ton of moves on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, what, what's your view from the outside looking in in terms of what the 49ers have been able to do? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously the, the Buckner thing was huge, but it gives them the 13th pick, which if you look at mock drafts, I know it's kind of it's the only thing to look at the now, um, to be honest, but it's going to be, they're probably in a position to get one of the, 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 big, the best wide receivers, whether it's, you know, Judy, if they go, She's probably the best for me um, out of the lot. But you've got Ruggs, who's completely different. He's, you know, complete speed. Um, even somebody like C.D. Lamb, they can, they're probably in a position to get as well. So there's a chance that they're, they're going to upgrade the offense and make it maybe a bit more, a bit more you know, high-powered to keep up with the likes of the, the Chiefs, who obviously beat them in the Super Bowl last, last year. So that's, you know going to be something to look at because the running game is obviously extremely impressive. That's probably going to be just as impressive. And if they can open up things for Garoppolo, give him a true number one um, receiver, then that's that's going to be a bit more, you know, a bit more life to the offense, which is a bit frightening for everyone else in the division. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Thomas just turning uh, to yourself just for your view on it. I mean, obviously, you know, we'll talk about you know a potential high-powered offense when we when we get to the the Cardinals in a um, in a short while. But just in terms of that loss of Buckner, obviously, one of the problems that the Cardinals have had is, is obviously the protection of Kyler Murray. Obviously, must be a, a huge benefit for you guys. You know, obviously, one of those key pieces not being there anymore. So, yeah, in terms of our offensive line, I think having no Armstead to deal with is a good thing, but he's still got a few big names on that defensive line, so I think we still got to worry about that. But, I mean, our offensive line wasn't too bad last year, so we'll just have to see a make-do. If Kyler can get out of the pocket, make plays, it may make a difference who they've got, really. <laughs> like the optimism, mate. Like the optimism, certainly going to be, um, you know, interesting to watch. That will, like I say, we will get on to the moves that the Cardinals have made in a short while. Let's come back to Jacob then. So let's talk about the draft, mate. We talked there that the number thirteen pick speculation that it may well be a wide receiver. That seems to be the sort of general position that the mock drafts are heading. Um, you know, if I gave you the job for the night, where would you be putting the cards on draft night? I'd certainly be looking at, at wide receiver. You know, we've given, we've got the opportunity now at the 13 and the 31 um, to, to fill kind of two, maybe two starting positions. And I think wide receiver has to come first there. I've seen, you know, a few mocks saying that we would go and look at, to, to, you know, to draft that player to replace DeForest Butner. I don't really think that, is as big a need as as wide receiver is really. We've got DJ Jones if we do want that kind of space eating um, inside interior D lineman who I think had a really good season before he got hurt. And Eric Armstead really he as much as well as he played last season, uh, he he's kind of been bouncing around, not really playing his true position because of DeForest Buckner. And so Buckner's uh, absence will allow Eric Armstead to, to shift inside. And so. Wide receiver is definitely where I'd be going. Uh, Jerry Judy is my favourite because when I watch wide receiver tape, route running is just the most important thing for me. Um, the ability to create separation against top-level corners um, is probably the hardest thing to do in the NFL. And to be able to do that and give your, give your quarterback open, easy throws um, is just something that we see quite a lot in the Niners offense, you know, down the field, there's often times where we find people kind of pretty well open, not just because of the scheme, but because of their route running. And so Judy's certainly somebody that I would really, really like to see in a Niners uniform. Um, CD lamb is probably, it adds where Judy probably adds to what we've already got. CD lamb probably gives us a slightly different uh, dynamic and the one thing that we've never not really had in the past couple of years at the 49ers is a true red zone threat I can't remember the last time I saw Jimmy G at the two-yard line just throw like a back shoulder end zone fade we just don't do it ever and it's probably because we've not got that player that you just throw it up to you know we haven't got that Hopkins or Julio where you just throw it up and let them beat the man um, and I think some of the maybe then we look to add that instead and add a different dynamic to our game, which then maybe instead you go and try and double that person and suddenly then that run game down by the line is, is a bit more open. So I, I would like to see us go down the Judy route, but I wouldn't be upset with CeeDee Lamb. But what I could definitely see happening if the Jets and the Raiders both go receiver is that choice kind of taken out of our hands and we're almost left with Henry Ruggs, which probably is doing him a disservice because he's a very, very good player. And that kind of speed in Shanahan's hands could be incredibly dangerous. 
Yeah, I actually quite like the the rugs fit there because she, I think I can't remember who he was that said it. I think it may have been Jordan said that the run game obviously has been impressive. Um, if you imagine that you've got somebody that the defence are going to have to commit probably a double team to or keep a safety back there, um, you know, it could well be that that just you know sort of further opens up things as well for you, couldn't it potentially? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think they've all got their positives, um, and I wouldn't be upset with any of them. Uh, I would just, as long as if we end up with any one of the three, I'd be pretty happy, really. Um, the only other way you could see us is if all three have somehow gone, then maybe we look at corner and look to address receiver at the back of the th- of the first round. I I wouldn't be drafting any of like the fourth receivers at thirteen. I think it's too high. Yep. Interesting to see where they go, mate. Like you say, having that two picks in the first round now does give you some options, doesn't it, James? Let's bring you into the discussion, mate, and let's start talking a little bit of fancy football. Um, obviously, one of the um, you know more potent scoring offences towards the back end of the season, um, but obviously one of the big fancy problems, obviously a bit of a running back by committee. Um, talk us through where you've got some of the 49ers in your um, sort of early predictions, mate. Yeah, the the running back by committee always makes it difficult in San Francisco because week by week it changes as to who is going to be the most relevant. So you can't take any of them particularly high up. I mean, most of it was a bit of a darling towards the end of last year, but um, don't expect him to start this year in the same way. Um, One thing not to forget is that um, the Niners restructured Jarrett McKinnon's contract, I believe. So you've got Coleman, McKinnon, Breeder, Mostert, and even their fifth choice is um, pretty reasonable, to be fair. So, I mean, they're not going to have any problems with injuries, but fantasy owners are going to have a nightmare. Albeit, if you are desperate for a plug-and-play on your bye weeks for your starters, then I can see them being some decent wave wire options. In terms of people that you're more likely to be looking at high up, you've obviously got George Kettle, who is going to be one of the interesting stories in this year's fancy drafts, I think, is how high are the tight ends like Kittle going to go? What wide receivers and running backs are you going to lose? I always, I've always said on the pod that I'm not a fan of drafting quarterbacks early. Tight ends is a difficult boat because the gap between the likes of Kittle and the next tier is gigantic, but obviously you can still lose that much in wide receiver and running back as well. Um Kittle's probably going to go back into the second, I think, uh, sort of my early predictions. And if he slips into the third, I'd be taking him, but I'd struggle to take him with the second rounder. Um, in terms of the wide receiver car, it gets interesting because Debo Samuel is, now that Sanders has left for New Orleans, becomes de facto number one, unless we have a new star in town from that 13 pick, which I have to agree, it's, I think it's going to be one of those three as well. And I think they instantly sort of shoot up into one of the top five, probably top five rounds. Uh, in fact, probably even top four, because that's roughly where Debo is at the moment. That tandem could be quite fantastic, really, to be honest. Um, and although despite that, Jimmy Garoppolo is probably, again, going to be one of those that you're going to pick up towards the end of a draft. So... Um, with an extra weapon in hand, Jimmy G is sneaking into being a potential value when the draft comes around because he wasn't fantastic for fantasy last year, but he did the job in reality. With one extra weapon who you can rely upon from the draft, he's going to be there or thereabouts. Is you know, Even though 
I still don't think he's got the name value yet. That can change. Yeah, so a tricky little conundrum then, really, is what we're saying. We think that the offence is going to be pretty good, but obviously let's wait and see what happens in the draft. Um, and obviously, like you say, that running back room is going to be a bit of a mess. Jacob, if you had to sort of with any confidence say one player that you're confident will deliver for the 49ers in fantasy perspective, who would it be? Got to be George Kill. He's just by far the most consistent player since he since he put first put on that Niners jersey. Uh, we've just seen him get better and better. Um, so... I think he's just a no-brainer, especially, like you said, if you can get him slipping into the third. Um, for me, I kind of play fantasy the same with tight ends. If you, if you can get one of the good ones early, then, then you get them. If not, then I just wait until right near the end because um, that drop-off is big. Yeah, yeah at, the, at the moment, there's a bit of a thing to happen where Lamar Jackson, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Pat Mahomes are going the back end of the second in the same sort of area, you're looking at the likes of Chris Godwin, Amari Cooper, Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay at wide receiver, Aaron Jones, Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson, and Miles Sanders at running back. Of all that lot, I'd want Kittle. Yeah, no, can't disagree with that, mate. Can't disagree. Like you say, he's certainly going to be um, you know, the one reliable um, guy in terms of, you know, you know, he's going to be number one on the depth chart, whatever happens between now and September, obviously barring any injury. So Kit will probably be the safe way to go. Stay where you are, Jake. We're going to get your views on some of your rival teams shortly and then we'll circle back to just review the division as a whole. Let's talk Seahawks, um, runners up in the division. Obviously last year, as we said, it sort of, you know, certainly went to the wire. Um, so Michael, talk us through what the Seahawks have done so far, mate. Well, as it is every year, it's been somewhat of a typically quiet off-season so far. You know, Seattle aren't one of these teams who are going out and making a massive splash or a lot of noise to sort of deal quietly and make moves where they need to. Obviously, they still have the Jadavion Clowney saga over their heads. Is he going to re-sign? Is he not? Um, there's still definitely a couple of teams interested in taking him, depending on what price he's asking. I know he's taking it down a couple of million dollars, and lucky for him to have the luxury to do so. But for Seattle, I think it would be important if they could get him back in the building because then it sort of frees them up in terms of the draft and in terms of where they want to look. Um, they signed Greg Olson after he left the Panthers last year. And, you know, he spent a bit of time, Sean, as you and I know, in the XFL both. So we'll sort of get to see that side of him. But hopefully he still has his football head on and he's ready to go again. Next season, the re-signed Jerron Reed. Uh, traded for Quentin Dunbar and brought in Philip Dorsett from the Patriots as well. So quietly, it's been quite a positive offseason so far. Um, as I said before, there's been no massive splash, no headline news, but that is sort of the way in which Pete Carroll and this Seahawks team goes through goes through the offseason. So fingers crossed they've made the right moves. Yeah, like you say, it's been relatively quiet, but that's, as you say, a pretty sort of familiar pattern that has developed in recent time. It's been a fairly familiar pattern in terms of sort of season performance, though, hasn't it? They've you know always had sort of winning seasons, but sort of really struggling to sort of get back to that sort of Super Bowl heyday. Um, Jordan, just from your perspective again, um, you know, what's your view of um, where Seattle are at the moment, obviously from the Rams' perspective, um, you know you'd like to think that you know obviously first and foremost you know get back above Seattle, um, you know hopefully that would you know from your perspective take you to the divisional crown. But where do you see the Seahawks in relation to where you are currently? 
it's always difficult to to place the Seahawks, to be honest, until until September comes around and they play a few games, which sounds like I'm sitting on the fence, but it's true. I mean, there was a couple, like, was it two years ago, they were, you know, getting picked to win four games and whatever, and I think they, they made the playoffs still. So as long as they've got, unfortunately, as long as they've got Russell Wilson, they've always got a chance, um, to be honest. But yeah, it's been pretty pretty quiet from them. It'll be interesting to see if Clowney leaves. Um, I mean, it, it didn't, didn't necessarily fill up the stat sheet as much, but he's he's always a force and he's always going to, you know, make you put at least a couple of guys on him for most of the time or, or chip him or whatever. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the draft because I mean, again, they don't necessarily draft particularly well. Um, and the the opening rounds anyway, I think the last two picks have been LJ Collier and Rashad Penny, maybe, who haven't exactly made a huge impact, but it's the, the later rounds they obviously get the the impact guys um in Seattle. So right now, you know, I'm I'm kinda sitting on the fence with them to be honest of if the Rams can overtake them. It was literally one missed field goal between us last year. Um where when Seattle beat the Rams in in Seattle, um it would have been the difference between the Rams going to the playoffs and the Seahawks going, so it's it's going to be a tight one, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. It comes back to what we said right at the start, isn't it? You know, going to be a competitive division, that's for sure. I would I would suggest Thomas, just from your perspective, um, I think you know one of the moves that I like that Michael mentioned there, the signing of Greg Olson. Um, you know, I think that was a pretty good move. Um, obviously, I don't think Clowney's going back there. I think that would have been sorted if it had to be was going to be sorted by now. I think the bridges are probably burnt there. What, what's your view, mate, as a Cardinals fan looking at the Seahawks? Well, I mean, the signing of Greg Olson just bring just like is bad for us anyway because we can't seem to cover tight ends whoever we have so you know bring on anyone tight end <laughs> do something against us yeah, but, I mean aside true. from that we always seem to beat Seattle in Seattle yet Seattle beat Arizona in Arizona so it'd be nice to do it the other way around for once this season and actually beat them in Arizona yeah, do the, do the moves that they may give you more confidence that that's likely to happen, or do you think the Seahawks have significantly improved since the, the end of last campaign? I don't think they've really done too much different. I mean, they've lost Clowney so far. He's still on the streets, isn't he? So he's yeah. one person less to worry about. I did actually read something the other day. I mean, obviously, myself being a Browns fan, we've been heavily linked with Clowney. I did read somewhere that um, you know that might be something. You know, the Cardinals looking to improve the edge position. Um, don't know what your cap situation's like or anything there, but you know, if that was something that you could do, would that be a move that would interest you, Thomas? I mean, who wouldn't want your Davey? Who wouldn't want your Davey and Clowney? But to be fair. I don't think he'd play for the veteran minimum, which is all we could probably afford at the moment. <laughs> it's the cap room, that bud. <laughs> it's getting there, yeah. That's what happens when you pay Larry Fitzgerald every year. Well, he's worth paying, mate. There's some things are worth sacrificing for. Let's um, let's talk about some guys then that aren't going to cost as much, Michael. Let's come back to you and let's talk draft and where do you think the Seahawks are going, mate, with the, um, with the picks that they have? Uh, I think it's sort of 50-50. Well, maybe not as quite 50-50, but I think they need to lean towards <clears throat> their O-line at the back end of the first round with the 27th pick. Um, there is talk that they might take an edge guy there, but losing out, if, if they were able to keep Clowney, as you've mentioned, that's unlikely. Uh, I think that will push the needs for an edge player back maybe a round or two, but 
offensive line the past couple of years has been one of the more important needs for Seattle, especially trying to keep Russell Wilson clean in the pocket. But as we all know, that doesn't happen. And more often than not, his highlights are him scrambling and making plays with his legs. So if we can get a solid base across the O-line, get a solid run game going, and maybe pick up one of these running backs in sort of the mid-rounds, um, I feel like that, w- that would go well for us. But I think first round, sort the offensive line, get a running back or one of these wide receivers mid Mid rounds and then focus the rest of the round on the defense and sort of get an injection of youth that way. Yeah, certainly from my perspective, outside looking in offensive line always, as you alluded to, does seem to be an area of need. Jacob, let's come to you for your view on that. If you, um, you know, had the opportunity to sort of be in the Seahawks draft room, where where do you still think their biggest area of need is? Let's assume Clowney doesn't come back for the purpose of this conversation. Where do you think you would go? It is an interesting one because, I mean, it feels like offensive line has been a need for as long as I can remember with the Seahawks. Um, And they've constantly almost tried to address it and it's not uh, quite worked out. So there is certainly an element of that to it. I do think that Wilson... as he, I mean, he's he's unbelievable, um, but he does make his offensive line's job quite hard sometimes. I think that's almost because he's been put under pressure so often before that he now starts to move at the slightest bit of pressure and therefore um, makes it quite hard for his offensive line. I think I wouldn't be surprised if they shore up um, the running back position. You only have to look at how the last season ended um, to realise that another body there, you know, could have been the difference when you think how close they were to beating the Niners in week 17. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they addressed that. Um, And same with the edge. I mean, personally, I, I, hope they do give Clowney 20 million or whatever he's, he's after because he, he's certainly not worth that for his effort. Um, but I, I can't see them them doing that unless he vastly uh, reduces what, what he's after, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And I probably should have come back at, um, at Thomas when he said, who wouldn't want Jadavian Clowney? Because I don't particularly want him either. <laughs> but, uh, maybe that's because we've got Miles Garrett on the other side. Who knows? Um, James, let's talk fancy then, mate. Where are we going for Seahawks? No, this is difficult for me because the top pick in, from Seattle, uh, well, in terms of the player who's going to go first, is probably going to be Chris Carson, who not only do I struggle to rate, I always feel there's a few drops away from being dropped himself. Um, and at the moment, he's going in the middle of the third round, which the risk does not seem to pay off for the reward. Albeit, obviously, Seattle are a very run-heavy team, um, although I would like to think that most of that is Russell Wilson. Speaking of which, he's probably going to go a bit later than he has done in recent years, I think, just because, even if they get some tackle help on the offensive line. Um, I mean, I'm in the boat where I'd quite like them to get an offensive line piece in just to give him half a chance, but I still think they'll end up going edge if they can't get Clowney in. Um, but Wilson's going sort of, you know, fifth round area. Um, he's probably still in that you're going to lose out on too much if you take him kind of thing. Um, but you never know. He's sort of around the area of people like AJ Brown and Kenyon Drake. And I think I'd rather have that running back where I receive a flexibility and take a quarterback who's not quite as efficient, but is still going to be quite good. But for some people, he may be the tipping point. I don't know. Um, DK Metcalf could be very, very tasty this year. Um, having had you know a year to sort of get into things, I was one of those. I have to admit, last year I wasn't 
sort of expecting him to do very much. I was thinking all hype, it's all pictures and muscles, and he's just not going to deliver on, you know, on turf. And turns out he can. So he's going to be drafted. He's, he's actually been drafted very much where Russell Wilson is around that fifth round area. And I can see a lot of takers for him. Um, certainly anyone playing Dynasty who's starting their league this year, he has to jump up a few tiers because with age plus ability, he's going to be he's going to be quite a thing. Greg Olson, we you've mentioned, is giving me a headache a bit because he's in terms of all the projections I've seen so far, he's been forgotten, um, which seems like a dangerous item. Yes, he's thirty five plus, but Russell Wilson likes his tight ends a lot. He he went through about five of them through injury last year, and we still ended up with Jacob Hollister catching touchdowns in the playoffs. So let's be honest. Any t- any tight end in Seattle is worth their weight in gold. Um, if Will Disley comes back from his injury, you know, tip top, I can see him being probably more valuable than Olsen because I think Olsen might be working as a little bit of a mentor. But if there's any slight problem with Disley, Olsen's going to be one that you can probably think about streaming and end up owning. So um, there's certainly pieces, and Seattle might be one of those places where there's value, just not at running back. Yeah, I'd probably agree. Michael, just come to you just for final word on him and get your perspective um, from a fantasy football um, point of view. One player that James hasn't mentioned there, Tyler Lockett, obviously he had a good season last year. I actually think the, the underrated move is probably the one for Philip Dorsett. He's another player that can take the top off a of defence. Um, you know, where would you be going, you know, if you had to get one of the three wide receivers, you know, which would be your preference in terms of the, you know, the sort of value selection, so to speak? Um. Uh, well, obviously in Seattle, Lockett's number one, um, and we've seen what he can do last year, so I would put all my chips towards him. You still think even with the tool set sign, you're still going to sort of command that sort of level of targets, yeah? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think this is sort of bringing Dorsett in as more so to complement uh, Lockett as opposed to replace him. Um, obviously, Dorsett is, is a brilliant player, but I feel like the connection, as we've seen many times, especially this season with that touchdown against the Rams, you know, the connection between Wilson and Lockett is is second to none. So for Wilson to have that second option in Philip Dorsett will make hopefully a bit more room for Lockett in, in, in the passing game. Yeah, I'm in, I'm interested to see from a neutral perspective. I think you know Lockett will get a bit more time in the slot as well. Um, you know, with the true speedster on the outside, and obviously we mentioned Metcalf as the big body on the opposite side. So a nice uh, three-headed monster, so to speak. There. Um, let's move our attention then over to the Rams um, and Jordan. Um, obviously, more noise probably being made by the outgoings than the incomings. Talk us through um, the off-season so far. Yeah, uh, yeah. As you say, it's been a lot, lot going out. Not so much um, anybody coming in. So, kind of first wave. Um, you obviously had the Dante Fowler going to Atlanta, um, getting what, about things about sixteen million a year or something like that. Something like that. Um, Corey Littleton was another one who actually didn't go for as much money as a, as was kind of initially rumored. I think he kind of went for about twelve million, but they were kind of early indication was that it was going to be quite a market for him, but ended up at the Raiders. Um, he's maybe one I'm surprised that the Rams didn't get back, but looking at the last few few years and this year again, it doesn't look like they really value the inside linebackers at all. 
um, which may be a reason for him going. Um, they've cut Nikel Robbie Coleman. Um, he's away to the Eagles, maybe most famous for the non-pass interference call um, against the, the Saints a couple of years back. Um, Greg DeLeg, the kicker's our line, he's, he's away to Dallas. He follows his uh, special teams coach and then maybe the most infamous um, of, of the lot so far is, is Todd Gurley um, cut after paying him another seven million or something. I can't quite remember how many it was. The, the, they had a deadline to cut him by um, and they, they cut him. He's obviously way back to, to Georgia where he played his college football and to the Falcons. Um, incomings, maybe the, the highlight has been getting Michael Brockers back um, on the defensive line. He actually did agree to a deal with the Ravens, but um, medical issues meant that they, they kind of went back on that deal and he found his way back to the Rams. And then the only kind of outside free agents so far have been Leonard Floyd, um, a one-year deal for $10 million. Um, he's not really known as a pass rusher as such. He's not, not big on the, the sack numbers in the first few years of his career, um, but he has worked with uh, Brandon Staley, who's the new defensive coordinator. Um, he's worked with him before, so it's probably played into that. And Ashawn Robinson's the, the other major outside free agent so far um, from the Lions. Got a two-year deal there. Um, by all admissions, from what I've heard, I don't know if it was Les Snead, the general manager, or, or Sean McVay said he was kind of the broker's replacement. So it'll be interesting to see what they do they do there going forward but yeah like we say it's a lot more a lot more going out than the rest coming in at the minute yeah it certainly seems that way doesn't it like you say they were sort of you know the darlings of the league a couple of years back and obviously Sean McVeigh's name was was being talked about you know as you know everybody wanted the next Sean McVeigh didn't they um that was pretty much the theme of the you know last off-season hiring spree Jacob, obviously, um, the 49ers took the divisional crown away from the Rams last year. Um, surely you've got to be looking at this as a rival fan and licking your lips thinking this this side's just getting you know worse with every one of these um, players leaving. Yeah, I think they've almost kind of fallen into, not the trap, but a situation that a lot of teams that end up in the Super Bowl find themselves in a couple of years later, in which the players that play in the Super Bowl then tend to want to get paid like the best at their positions and unfortunately not everyone can do that so you end up having to let uh, a fair few people go um, so I think that they've certainly got worse um, but I do think that people are maybe a little bit too far down on them than than they need to be I think they've still got um, a lot of their best pieces you know I, I, I wasn't very uh, high on Fowler um, I, I would almost probably prefer to have Leonard Floyd than Dante Fowler um, in terms of um, if it, under the right coach, I think he could probably get better results. Um, the big ones are probably uh, Brandon Cooks and, and Todd Gurley in terms of uh, really big starters. And the other one for me was Nikhil Rolby Coleman. When I saw how much the the Eagles signed him for, um, I almost couldn't believe that you know that the Rams weren't able to get uh, you know a restructure to get it, it get it kind of that that cheap because. Uh, uh, what I think it was like just under three million or something like that. He, I mean, for me, he's one of the better slot corners in the league. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they're certainly worse than where they were a year ago. But I, I, I wouldn't be writing them off as 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 some people are. Yeah, no, I think that's fair, mate. Like you said, there are still uh, you know a huge number of significant pieces that are there. 
Um, Thomas, coming to get your view of it, um, obviously, um, you know, the, the Rams finished third in the division last year, so that'll be the first sort of step, if you like, for the Cardinals to take in terms of progression. Um, you know, probably similar question to what I asked you with, with regards to the Seahawks. Do you sort of view this off-season activity and probably get, you know, a fair bit of confidence that the Cardinals can leap above the Rams uh, once we get going in September? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm enjoying their downfall this off-season, seeing everyone leave seeing them being left with, like, a humongous amount of dead cap. You know, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I knew this round table would work. Everyone can just, uh, you know, revel in everybody else's, everybody else's pity, can't they? Um, let's come back to you then, um, Jordan, just in terms of how you're going to address some of these holes that are being created. As Thomas said there, there's quite a lot of dead cap. So, obviously, you know, the first thing that you need to do if you are rebuilding, he's obviously nailed a couple of drafts. So obviously a really significant um, opportunity to sort of start writing the ship. Where do you think, um, you know, the selections will be heading? Um, I suppose the issue when your first pick is at 52, um, thanks to the trade for Jalen Ramsey last year, you know, really, you know, you can't really kind of predict the board as such as you can if you're picking it, you know, 13, like 49ers or whatever. So, it's it's going to be difficult. I see a lot of people, obviously, with the, the trade for Brandon Cooks that I kind of forgot to mention, but there's been that many I forgot. Um, you know, people pegging in a wide receiver there. Um, obviously, we're down to Henderson and Malcolm Brown, uh, Darrell Henderson, Malcolm Brown in the backfield at running back. So people pegging one there, but I would kind of, I'd rather wait to the, the later rounds or the mid rounds anyway to, to address that because it looks like they're going to go running back by committee as opposed to a kind of a lead back um, like they kind of had with Gurley, if not last year, then, you know, the, the couple of years previous to that. So there's a, there is a few holes. I still think, you know, linebacker is down to the bare bones edge. There isn't really a, you know, a, a proven a proven sack getter as such there. So I think there's a few holes to get. It is literally going to be how does the board fall to you? Um, I can't see them trading up because they're at the, even with an additional pick for Cooks uh, through the Cooks trade, still only got seven picks, um, and the first of those, you know, is 52 and 57. So if anything, it would be a a trade back, which Les Snead is particularly fond of. For some reason, likes picking up extra fourths and six rounders for reasons unknown to anyone. But um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of a lot of holes. I think need picked. Uh, filled there probably edge and even O-line which I've not even mentioned um, we're still probably looking for another one or two there to try and solidify it because I think that was one of the major problems last year um, and, and not getting either run game going and allowing Jared Goff to, to settle last year I think that was one of the major issues so as you said there, there's you know obviously a number of positions you'd be looking to upgrade and, and obviously as you say, you know, who knows what the board will look like. Do you see them focusing more on one side of the ball particularly? Um I'd probably say defensively, I think maybe to help out, you know, Brand Brandon Staley, he's a first year defensive coordinator. Um he's maybe you know, McVeigh maybe feels a bit more confident in his abilities to, to get the offense working with what he's got, maybe plus one or two in the draft, whereas maybe they want to give, you know, Staley as much as possible to try and 
get things figured out in his first year. So I think maybe defensively they'll, they'll go a bit more there. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. I would agree. Um, you know, that, to be fair, that was the reason I asked that. I think, you know, like you say, it's, uh, that is probably one of the significant things that we haven't talked about yet. Obviously, moving to um, Brandon Staley defensively, be interesting to see how that pans out. Um, James, let's talk fancy football again, mate. Um, obviously, another team that a couple of years ago we would have been happy drafting a huge number of these Rams players. Um, obviously, now I know you're probably going to tell me Cooper Cup, but uh, tell me anybody else. Yeah, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are about well all there is in fantasy relevance if you look on the board. Um, let's, I'll be honest. As, the Rams are one of those teams where what they do in the draft will heavily influence how fancy mock drafts start going. Um, if they take a running back or wide receiver early, if they take a running back early, that running back could be one of those that gets taken reasonably high up. If they take a wide receiver early, it knocks Cooper Cup and Robert Woods' value down ever so slightly. Um, I'll admit, Josh Reynolds as a number three doesn't feel bad at all, if I'm honest. I'd be, and even Henderson, they drafted him last year high up to be the number one. So the fact that they were willing to get rid of him made me think they may have the trust level in him. I wouldn't be surprised if they go for another back late on to be the complement. And it is a very much a committee, which stunts the value of all of them. But if you're picking up the likes of Henderson or Malcolm Brown in either the 10th or the 14th round, so you're in double digits at the moment, then you could be. You know, if you hit the right week, you're looking quite good. Um, it's going to be one of those wait and sees because obviously for years we've been expecting it to be girly, and obviously last year it wasn't. But um, I can see Henderson or Brown, one of them being quite a major, you know, influence on fantasy in the early season. Um, Jared Goff is going to probably find himself in the quarterback streaming pool. Um, and Hig- Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett at tight end are both going to be in the tight end streaming pool. It's quite interesting with them too because they are very much a tandem. And there was a point last year where Everett just suddenly took over, then got injured, and then Higby took over, and suddenly they were both you know in fancy top twelves each week. Uh, and now we're back to the end of the season; they're both going to be forgotten, and it's probably the right thing as well. So. Yeah, the Rams are a bit of a challenger, I think. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting puzzle to try and crack, isn't it? Like I said, a couple of years ago, you'd have probably been fairly confident. Last word to you, Jordan, just in terms of the new stadium opening. Um, obviously, you'd have wanted to have made a big splash. Do you think that's going to have um, you know, a significant impact in a positive manner, or do you think that's going to be something that potentially has come at the wrong time when you're you know, potentially going through a bit of a rebuild? Um, I'm sure they'd have liked to have maybe had the stadium. It was originally meant to be done for last year. I think that would have been better coming off a, a Super Bowl um, appearance. But, you know, it's kind of maybe I take a bit of a distraction away for the team, the new stadium opening. Hopefully it can, because it's obviously been a long time coming from going back to LA to getting this up and running. So it's probably something they could have done without but you know they'll, they'll obviously try and spin it into a positive in whatever way they can to be honest yeah I'm sure they will mate the league not doing you any favours either supposedly on hard knocks if that gets up and running as well so plenty of distractions ongoing mate so been a tough off season um, certainly like so from the outside looking in um, you know a team probably 
going a step back to hopefully take a couple forward in the non-too-distant future for you. Um, Thomas, let's move across the match, the final team in the division, and let's talk, obviously, about the Cardinals, probably the complete opposite to what I just said to Jordan there. This is a team from a neutral's perspective that seemed to be trending in the right direction, obviously made some strides last year. Um, you know, offensively, they were entertaining to watch. Obviously, defensively, it was a different story, and you alluded to it earlier, had problems um, you know, across the defensive side of the ball. Um, but surely you must be full of optimism, mate, and uh, just talk us through the moves that have gone down so far. Well, I mean, the biggest move so far has obviously been the trade to bring in DeAndre Hopkins, which has actually been finalised now, I think, with them both passing physicals, finally, which is good. And, you know, it's good to have in preparation replacing one of the best wide receivers in the history of the game with one of the current best receivers in the game. Uh, do, do you think that, um, you know, obviously, as you've just alluded to there, Larry, obviously one of the greatest of all time. Do you think there's even more to potentially come out of DeAndre Hopkins? You know, he's pretty much been the guy in Houston. Um, you know, obviously, he's now going to get the opportunity to play alongside one of the greats. Do you actually even envisage that you're going to get even more production out of Hopkins as a result? I'm not sure what more you can get from him. Just for him to continue being one of the best is all I can hope for, really. You know, just be like, continue to be the number one receiver for Kyle Murray to throw to. And just make ridiculous catches every week. Everyone will enjoy that. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Tell us the rest of the moves then, buddy. Uh, well, we, we signed DJ Humphreys after a solid 2019. You know, he wasn't amazing, but he wasn't terrible either. And he played all 16 games for the first time since we actually drafted him. Made sense to bring him back, and you know it's not too expensive considering other deals at the position. Plus, he gets a chance to impress further, and then cash in again three years down the line when they'll still be under the age of thirty, which makes you feel really old. <laughs> and then, of course, Kenyon Drake's coming back on a one-year deal after his spectacular half season, and everyone everyone was clamouring to get him back. So you know. We've seen before you get burnt if you pay running backs big money, as the Rams can say as well. But, you know, we've got Kenyon Drake for a year, see if he can do what he did last year. And, you know, offense will be in a good position there. Yeah, um, Michael, I'll just come to you for that. We talked about the um, the Seahawks backfield and, you know, not a lot of trust in, in terms of Chris Carson. Kenyon Drake's a player there that did certainly have a good second half of the season, um, you know, would that be a player that, you know, let's assume that we go through the season that Kenyon Drake performs well. There is going to get to a point where there's going to have to be a decision on, you know, is somebody going to pay him or not? Would that be a player that would be of interest in, you know, in your opinion for Seattle? Um, you know, or, you know, just from your perspective, how do you view him as the starting running back as one of your rivals in the division? Oh, definitely. I think it would be a brilliant addition to in Seattle. Um Having him go against us twice a year is a lot worse than having him play a few twice a year or 16 games a year, you know, so I'd definitely like to have him on board. In regards to just the Cardinals overall, I feel like this offense is getting quick. It's getting very fast-paced. Um, you know, you have Hopkins, Murray, uh, Drake coming back is, is going to cause a lot of problems, not just for Seattle, but for a lot of defenses around the league. Uh, and in particular, as it was mentioned earlier, you know, for some reason, when Arizona come up to Seattle, we can't beat them. So I'm fearing that that could be a trend that's going to continue on for a couple of years unless we we, we get a better defence in place to stop it. 
Yeah, I think, like I say, certainly from my perspective, um, yeah, they're an exciting team on that offensive side of the ball. Thomas, talk us just through the defensive moves that have happened, mate. Well, the biggest move was probably signing Jordan Phillips on a three-year deal. We've needed a lot of help on the defensive line for God knows how long because Robert Kimdichie didn't work out there. And it's just basically been abandoned or just ignored. So having him after he's had his best career season, you know, hopefully that comes in here and, you know, we can actually start getting a decent defensive line. So one that can actually get pressure and stop the run because we struggled at that last year. Yeah, so would you look to potentially add more through the draft as well? Let's let's look at the draft. Um, and like I said earlier, you know, I've seen edges of position that's been mentioned. The, I think the Cardinals are a difficult one for the mock draft experts, quote-unquote, to get a handle on. I've seen offensive line, I've seen edge. I've even seen some people say wide receiver, which I find bizarre considering the bevy of options that are there. But I think some people have just said, you know, it could almost be an absolute mega offence. So I think people are struggling to get a handle on it. Where would you look to improve the side if you had the opportunity well I mean for me personally I'm going all in on CD Lamb at 8 even though it doesn't make too much sense but you know if someone that someone's there like Jeffrey Okuda or Isaiah Simmons you know you take them over CD Lamb regardless other than that though I think it's CD all the way for me yeah, so like so, yeah, so you're in that band then of like so I've seen that in some mock drafts that it's almost like let's just create this absolute superpower on one side of the ball and almost that mentality that you know even if we concede forty points we've got the ability to score forty one ourselves and like so from a neutral they, they could well be one of the more entertaining teams to watch. Um, Jacob, you know you must be pretty sort of you know scared in terms of you know having to come up against that offence. Uh, on a regular basis, um, you know, if you were, were drafting, would you go that way as well, or would you start to actually start to plug a few of these obvious holes that are still there defensively? They certainly are uh, what looks to be kind of starting to shape a very, very scary offense. Um, personally, I, I think I, I, I would be going O line. Um, I don't think the O line was horrendous last year, as, as bad as maybe it sounded. They were pretty good in terms of protecting Kyler, but they weren't so good in the run game. But I do think, um, you know, as I've mentioned, DJ Humphreys actually played pretty well. But I think Justin Murray probably struggled quite a bit on the on the other side. So I think they would get better by drafting that, that one more piece on the offensive line. Um, so I, I think that is probably of more value to them. I can understand where people are coming from in terms of, C.D. Lamb, I know Kyler Murray has been saying he'd like to play with him again. He was obviously his former teammate. Um, and you're assuming this is Fitz's last year. So rather than waiting until that position becomes a need again, I know they'll have Hopkins, but they'll have others. Um, you maybe address it now and then give yourself a, a fortified unit for God knows how long to come. Um, so I think they will be better by drafting an offensive lineman. Um, but as a Niners fan, I hope they don't draft C.D. Lamb because then that t- starts the ticking of the wide receiver domino effect that we see every year. And then that's one less receiver that the Niners can get their hands on. And that's maybe what starts the situation where all three have gone by the time we get to 13. Yeah. As a Browns fan, I hope they do take a wide receiver because that leaves a lineman on the board. And that's what we need. So we've, <laughs> Absolutely. All, we've all got our own needs, haven't we? Um, Thomas, just in terms of some of the other picks, then you mentioned obviously what you do there at eight. Um, what other positions would you be looking to fill um, with the picks that you've got in the later rounds? I mean, it's a tough one, really, because 
we've plugged quite a lot of holes in free agency. So I think throughout this draft, we'll just basically go best player available every round, regardless of if we need them or not. Yeah, it's nice if you can have that luxury, isn't it? Like you say, you can keep adding talent to your to your roster. Then obviously that's uh, obviously the, you know the best way to go. Um, we've talked here then, James, quite a lot about a high-powered offense. You know, surely you've got a number of Cardinals on the radar in terms of fancy selections. It's a strange one. Um, <clears throat> there are four essentially. You've got Kyler Murray. You've got Hopkins. You've got Christian Kirk, and you've got Kenyon Drake. Even though Larry Fitzgerald, you know, he's still got his contract, he's still a legend. He's not going to give you the numbers that the Larry Fitzgerald that we will all remember when he goes into the Hall of Fame was giving. So it's an offense that's developing and becoming younger, becoming faster, becoming hungrier. But at the moment, you want, well, Hopkins is going to be a first rounder, even with the change of teams. Uh, the buyer beware I'd have on that is I know that players transitioning between teams. Their first years are never that stellar. And even though Hopkins is, quite frankly, a talent and a half, um, having, you know, with all this virus shortened off season and, you know, lack of OTAs and all that, he's not going to yet have time to get the chemistry with Kyler Murray. So I'd be very reluctant to spend my first round pick on someone who I think might regress in the first year, but then could dominate in his second. Um, which makes Christian Kirk a fantastic value in the sort of end of the fifth, beginning of the sixth. Um, he's maybe one of my, please think about getting him at that moment. Uh, interesting, Drake, Murray and Kirk are all going about the same point, the end of the fifth, beginning of the sixth. They're sort of, you know, ADP area at the moment for the much too early drafters um, is very much 5 5'11", 5'12" area so read into that what you will but um, Kyler Murray again is on that borderline between do you take a quarterback do you look at other positions I'd massively rather have Christian Kirk than Kyler Murray um, just for what you lose later on down the line Kenyon Drake it's difficult but he's certainly going to be the number one back there and he showed it in flashes last season if they draft the tackle, especially if it's a decent guy who can play right tackle, to cover off and help the you know help the offensive side create the holes, then my my sort of prognosis on him is a lot better. But at the moment, that's a bit too rich for my blood. Um, all the other positions just seem to have disappeared off the board. I don't even know if they have a tight end. I mean, they can't defend against them anyway, so. Um, I mean, it'd be helpful if they got one to practice against, but we'll see. One to practice against. I like your style, mate. I like your style. Um, right then, boys, you've all had a chance to tell us about your off-season so far and where you want to see your draft capital spent. Let's come back round each of you and just tell me where you think your team is going to end up and why, and probably the team that you think is going to struggle the most in the division and why. Um, I'll let you decide which order you want to give me those in. Um, so, Jacob, let's start with you, mate. As the current divisional champs, do you think the the, the 49ers retain that and who do you think is going to struggle? Uh, I, I, I think we do. I think on paper we, we are the most talented team um, and it's just a case of how well um, we we manage those those players that we did lose. But I think... We've certainly got to be expecting to win the division again, um, as tough a division as it is. Uh, if we're picking 
a team that will struggle. I mean, I, I think you have to say the Rams, but I just don't think they'll struggle. I don't think they'll struggle as much as people expect them to. If we're going struggle compared to last season, I think they'll struggle the most. But I think if we're going struggle uh, compared to what the expectations are, then I'd maybe be leaning the Seahawks. I just worry with the Seahawks is that it felt last season like they scraped through so many games and that was with Russell Wilson playing like unbelievable MVP level. And it seemed like it only takes him to be playing pretty good for them to not be able to get to scrape past those teams. And so I worry how, how sustainable is that? At some point, you know, he probably won't be playing at an MVP level. And it only takes that happening in this division in four or five games for you to probably fall off quite a bit. Fair dues, mate. Fair dues indeed. Michael, your turn. Yeah, well, I would have to agree with Jacob. I do think the 49ers have the benchmark for first place. You know, if if you want to win the division, that's sort of the level you have to play at. But quite rudely, I'm going to disregard everything else he said. I think the Rams are as low as people are thinking they are. Um, I don't know what it is. I just sort of have the feeling that the flame is sort of burnt out in LA. Um, I think that this is a massive year for Sean McVay personally. You know, he, he doesn't have the high part of offense or all the pieces there that he needs. You know, can he really coach a full team and a full squad to be the winners that they were a couple of years ago? And that's, that's going to show out as a massive part of this Rams season. I'm going to put them at the bottom of the division. And then I think it's a bit of a flip-flop between second and third, between the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Um, it comes down again to those close games. Um, we won a lot of them last year, which saw us get into the playoffs. But you lose those, you lose your positions, uh, you fall out quite quickly. I I can't call it, uh, just from a from a bias standpoint, I would say San Francisco, Seattle, Arizona, then LA. But obviously with this extra playoff spot this year, this division is really, really going to be exciting. Certainly will be. Jordan, I'm sure you're going to want to come back on that, mate. Um, yeah, no, I can't disagree with the first um, place team so far, uh, 49ers. Whilst they might not have improved as much as they would like, I think we've like we've discussed earlier with the thirteenth pick. If they pick a wide receiver, it's you know it's it's um, going to be pretty difficult to over overhaul them. Um, I actually think we're going to see. Well, I don't know if that's more hope than expectation, to be honest. But a bit of a a resurgence um, offensively anyway by the Rams. I think um, we've got a, a full time offensive coordinator for the first. Uh, time since Matt LaFleur um, last last year or two. It's kind of been split between the, the tight ends coach and the O-line coach is what they're doing. So that's going to help McVeigh out. Um, maybe losing some of these guys, you know, Gurley, Cooks, it's going to make them expand a bit more. I think we might see more two, uh, two tight end formations, which is something that the Rams haven't really done under McVeigh. Um, so I think we're going to see a bit of resurgence there. In terms of, in terms of struggling, I think... Thinking, you know, the Seahawks haven't done much, but again, I kind of touched on that earlier as long as they've got Russell Wilson, um, they're, they're always in there. But I, I, I'm not fully buying into the Cardinals' hype yet. I think we saw this same story last year um, with the Browns, and it just never, it just never happened. It's kind of a, 
you know, we've seen the trade for a big wide receiver, and I like Hopkins better than uh, Beckham. We've got the young coach who's got the young quarterback. Um, I, I, I'm not buying into it yet. It does work for me sometimes. I didn't buy into the Browns last year. I also didn't buy into the 49ers last year, which didn't really work. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I've, I've, right now I'll go 49ers in first place, Rams second, Seahawks third, Cardinals still, still at last. Give you a chance to come back in a minute, Thomas, but I can't believe I'm on an NFC West podcast and I'm <laughs> still getting bashed about the bloody Browns. It's unbelievable. Everybody takes the chance, don't they? <laughs> yeah, apologies. <laughs> not a problem, mate. Not a problem. Go on then, Thomas. Give us some optimism, mate. You know, surely, the, surely you're not going to be fourth again. No, I don't think we'll be bottom this year. I think that'll go to the Rams. You know, they're just falling apart, basically. And they've got really nothing to actually like reinforce positions. No first round draft pick. Won't take long before Jalen Ramsey throws a strop on the sidelines, you know. So Hopefully after we beat them in, you know, for once. So where do you think the Cardinals do end up then? Do you think they got um, realistic possibilities of the playoffs or, you know, would you just be happy with them sort of getting, like I said, up another rung in the division and do you think the 49ers are still the team to beat? Well, I mean, with the expanded playoffs, there's now an extra spot to play for. So I think we could go for a seventh, <clears throat> for the seventh seed if we're lucky and have a decent enough season, which I think we're capable of doing because looking at the schedule, looking at the team we've got, you know, I think we can do a lot better than last season, pick up maybe eight to nine wins. That could be enough to make it into the playoffs. Yeah, I think it could well be. And I know, James, you know, from the neutrals perspective, um, you know, you've got a, a strong view on this division as well, mate. Do you want to share that? Yeah, I've, as I was saying before to you, before we went on air, that I actually think that this division will have the fourth place team with the best record this season. Um, I just think they're all going to be so strong. It's going to be and a bit of an interest in terms of with the playoffs. I think I don't believe they're putting in the extended playoffs this season, are they? They're doing it the following no, year. No, no, it's this year. All oh, right. In which in which case you might find that three at least well, three of the teams might make it into the postseason. Um I'd still say the 49ers are gonna be just on top. I whether foolishly or not, um if if the Cardinals draft well. If they're number nine pick, they do go tackle rather than blowing it on another wide receiver that they don't need, considering they've got the likes of Andy Isabella in the background who I think can develop. As soon as Dyer Fitzgerald retires, they don't need to draft more wide receivers. They've got a stable back there. Um, if they draft well and get the offensive line help, they really could outpower everyone and anyone. Um, so I can buy into them potentially being second. And, but the Rams and the Seahawks are not going to be slouches. Um, losing Clowning would be a blow for the Seahawks, and that's weighing, you know, would weigh into that decision as them coming third. But I can still see third place easily being a playoff contender. Yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting division. And, and as we said, if the, um, you know, I don't think we'll ever get four from the same division in the playoffs, but I certainly think the fourth place side, I would agree, will have probably the best record amongst the fourth place teams in the conference. One thing that we haven't mentioned, and it might make no difference whatsoever, but I, I'm going to sort of give the, the Rams a little bit of love here, and it might be a bit of blind faith, but I think in terms of coaching staff that are probably coping best with these current conditions, probably would be the Rams. 
Um, you know, McVeigh's brain is just incredible, isn't it? You know, he can remember plays that he called 15 years ago. Um, you know, so being in these strange times where, you know, we haven't got the traditional methods available to us, you know, you wonder whether Pete Carroll's going to be able to compete with that kind of sort of, um, you know, forward thinking and that level of knowledge could mean absolutely nothing, of course. But, um, you know, I, I don't think the Rams will be as bad as people think they are. Um, but I'm also not surprised that all three of the other guys on the podcast think that the Rams will be the bottom of the division. That's what we all love. We're all, oh, and, uh, we've all got as much chance as anybody else as we start the season. Boys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, give you all an opportunity just to plug where people can find you and interact with you on social media. Um, so, Jacob, let's start with yourself, mate. Yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at JBBFootball. Um, if you are a 49ers fan and also want to check out my 49ers podcast, and you can at 49ers Brawl as well. Cheers, buddy. Uh, Thomas? Well, you can find me as the guy behind at British Bird Gang on Twitter and Facebook. You also have a podcast, The British Bird Gang Breakdown. You know, basically that's it. Brilliant, mate. Appreciate your time this evening, Jordan. Um, yeah, uh, you can find our pages, um, Twitter and Instagram, it's LARams underscore UK. On Facebook, it's just Los Angeles Rams UK. And then we've also got the Rams UK podcast as well. Brilliant, mate. Appreciate your time. And last but not least, Michael. Well, I am flying solo. I am not affiliated to any teams or groups. So it's just Michael Lavery 98 on Twitter. You can find me there. Um, I have articles and different bits and pieces going out all the time and some controversial opinions that some people definitely disagree with. So I'd appreciate a follow. Uh, always worth a follow, mate. Uh, in my opinion, do some good stuff, like you say, in your freelance capacity. Always worth a read, mate. So keep up the good work. Thank you very much. Boys, absolute pleasure. Like I say, from a neutral perspective, a division that we'll be keeping our eyes on. Thanks very much for your time this evening, gents. Stay safe, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Cheers, Sean. Yep, thanks. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks ever so much there to the guys. Really enjoyed that. Uh, one thing I love about these podcasts, and I mentioned it uh, on the NFC East one, is everyone is such a homer when it comes to their own team. Um, not a lot of love for the Rams there, mate, from the um, the three guests. They all seem pretty low on the Rams opportunities. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting season all around. I mean, let's be honest, any team that loses what effectively is your number one running back and one of your three-pronged wide receiver threats, which was what the rounds were built on really was having three wide receivers where any of them could be particularly relevant now you're down to two and you've lost your pass catching running back who was your do it all running back as well i can understand why people are low but as as most teams do they'll re retool reform redevelop um it's been a particularly painful hangover from losing to this in the super bowl but they'll be back one day yeah, we didn't talk about him at all, I don't think, when, um, when we had Jordan with us. But it's a big year for Jared Goff, isn't it? You know, he's obviously paid a huge amount of money. There's a, an awful lot of the cap invested in just a couple of players, and that's obviously part of the problem. But, you know, ultimately, they're only going to get success if those players start performing. Obviously, Aaron Donald does his bit defensively. Big year for Jared Goff, mate, isn't it? It is huge, because if he doesn't perform this year, he's probably out. Um, there is very much an out in his current deal that means that if he's not good this year, they can sort of cut ties without having too much financial penalty. Um, and at the begin, even at the beginning of last season, we were having conversations saying that um, the Rams were going to go that way regardless. Um, so 
it might be interesting to see whether they can give him a bit more help. So offensive line, running back, tight end, etc. Just something to be able to give him a chance. But I'm not necessarily sure that it's an offense where the quarterback is going to shine. So in many ways, they may be better sort of cutting ties and looking at a slightly cheaper option so that they can strengthen elsewhere. But we'll see. He's he's got he's going to have a year with a chance in a new stadium. Maybe it perks him up a bit. Yeah, we we want to keep an eye on. I think in terms of the the sort of um, you know the top of the division, I think the Seahawks and the Niners. We know probably the kind of thing we're going to get. We're going to get some consistent play. Um, they're always going to be there or thereabouts. I think there's probably as much as anything um, a chance that the Forty ers struggle with expectation. You know, they're a team that you know. Let's not forget, just you know, this time twelve months ago, we're picking second overall in the draft. Um, you know, we shouldn't forget yeah. that. Yes, and that was Nick Bowser, and look how that turned out. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. They, they nailed the pick, absolutely. But um, you know, what? They, They've probably been one of the smarter drafters in recent years, especially on the defense. Um, let's be honest, they, they've, they've really lost one offensive piece in Emmanuel Sanders, one defensive piece in DeForest Buckner. But in losing Buckner, you're going to gain a wide receiver who's going to be your wide receiver one for the future. Debo Samuel is still there as both a gadget player and a pretty good wide receiver too. And he could do what he did all sorts in that playoff run. He was jet sweeping everywhere, doing all sorts. And when you've got him, the likes of Breeder and Moster and Coleman, who can all basically interchange and do various things, that offense is an absolute nightmare to come up against. That's why I love watching them, to be honest. They're their offense is just fantastic. Um, and then the defense backs it up, which is, you know, just the, the only reason they couldn't win the whole thing was Patrick Mahomes was at the other end. And in the Super Bowl itself, they obviously managed to get um, Damian Williams to turn up. So... <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely, man. It's not quite uh, at the Chiefs' level yet, but obviously the model that the um, the Cardinals appear to be going is obviously get a really strong, high-powered offense. I think we're all excited to see, you know, how this will all fit together. Um, I was a little bit surprised that Thomas was on board with the get another wide receiver in. I personally think that would be a little bit um, over the top. I think there are still holes that need addressing. I think, you know, again, I'm I'm no expert by any means, but. I would think that offensive line would make more sense if they are going to invest a pick on the offense. But I think if they are in a position where you know Simmons is on the board, um, you know for me that should be the pick that they make. Um, you excited though from a fancy perspective, I suppose, for the Cardinals? You know potentially going to be high scoring. Yeah, this. I mean, this is the thing. I think I said it a bit early on, but if they go tackle and they basically give Kyler Murray a better chance of staying on his feet and give um, Kenyon Drake some room. They've got th- the offense to dream of, really. They've got they've got everything at their disposal. Um, Say so the, off- the offensive line, it's not the worst, it's not the best, but if they can solidify that, then that offense doesn't have a weak point now, which is dangerous. Yes, the defense needs some holes, but I think we were saying... we. One parallel I'll draw, which isn't the Browns, um, is actually, riskily, the Chiefs. That We knew the Chiefs were getting a high-powered offense and they were building when Mahomes came in. And they had the pieces there. But they just needed the defense to sort of come together and step up and they managed to do that last season. I can see the Cardinals sort of being a slightly 
longer-taking version, but it's not going to be too much longer. They could go that way. Obviously, there is still they could get this wrong and go the Browns' way, but um, let's sort of hope for their sakes that they can almost do a bit of a chase and find their way towards the top because I think they've been after a bit of success for some time. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate, absolutely. I'm going to stop recording these podcasts. Everybody just wants to, you know, lay the boot into me, don't they? Any opportunity you get, you're all just giving me a little dig in the ribs, aren't you? To be fair, I do bash Tim about the Cowboys enough as well. Yeah, well, that's it. Let's bash Tim some more. That's what I say. We've released some new uniforms today. I've got something to smile about. You know, let's uh, let's look at positives. Oh yeah, you can you can. Don't worry, you can do uniforms. I mean, it, let's let's be honest. It's in the name. You can't get that wrong. We got the last ones wrong, mate. <laughs> so that's yeah, why we've or, had to or, have some orange, new ones. Orange is the new brown. Well, it's now back to brown is the new brown. Indeed, mate. But, indeed. But they they do they do look smart. So kudos to that. To, to be fair, you know, not not wanting to turn into a Browns podcast, but you're you're not in as bad a state as people who keep passion. You think it's yeah. just that as a Steelers fan, I feel it's part of my duty. Absolutely, mate, and I will absolutely return the favour whenever the opportunity arises. And I won't have it any other way. <laughs> um, should just wrap up, just with betting, we didn't mention it with a guest, but we've mentioned it on the rest of the podcast. So in terms of divisional odds, Niners are the favourites, even money. Seahawks 23-10, to 10, Rams 7-2, to 2, and Cardinals 9-1. to 1. Um, I think that probably is in line with what we've said there. I think there's a lot of hope and expectation for Arizona, um, but I don't think that the bookies are yet to be convinced that the Rams are as bad as people make them out to be. Um, really, really interesting division. Um, and, you know, I may well have a chat with Adam, mate, about your take that uh, it could be the highest, well, the best record of a fourth place. So I think that could be some value there. I'm hoping there's going to be some kind of special bet that every team in that division has a winning record. So, um, you know, or even tied or better. So none of them are below 500. Mm, Interesting. If that that is a special bet, I'd be on like a shot. I mean, if you you really fancy a bit of a flutter, the Cardinals are probably that team where you're going to get the, the odds don't necessarily match the chances that they have to be top. I would still back the Niners myself, but the Cardinals are probably that team with the longest odds who realistically could go on and do it. It's a very topsy-turvy league and things can change in a heartbeat and the Cardinals can go do the whole worst to first quite easily. They're probably the, the team I would back the most to do worst to first. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. And like I said, you know, let's not forget that's exactly what the Niners did last year, didn't they? So maybe lightning yep. does strike twice. Right, mate, let's get out of here. We've had a good debate there for an hour and a half or so. Get in touch with us, of course, via social media at Full Ten Yards on the Twitter, fulltenyards.com. Leave us some messages, comments, etc., etc. Let's all keep talking in these continued strange and troubled times. Obviously, most importantly, everybody stay safe and look after yourself, James. It's been a pleasure, mate. Thanks for your company. Thanks again for having me and enjoying this series a lot, to be honest. Good stuff, mate. Glad you are. It's good to put a smile on people's faces. And of course, let's end the podcast as we always do with those words of Kevin Cadle and say, a bye bye for now. A bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show, full10yards at gmail.com.